All right, this is the pastor and little brother of Fat Ass over here on the other line. Yep, and this is Lard Ass <laughs> Jared, the Fat Ass Pastor's brother. <laughs> oh, goodness. This is the pastor with no answers. Um, Jared, are you, you're not a fat ass. I don't think so. I don't like, think you're a fat you, ass either, really, to be did, perfectly honest. Did you be... Did you become one over the holidays? Uh, I probably put on uh, probably maybe three or four pounds. Not a ton. I mean, I used oh, to do nothing. way worse when I was in my 30s and 20s. You know, I, I would just go nuts. But now I've kind of managed. I, I've learned from my past mistakes. I know how much is too much. And so, yeah, I think I'm smarter now with my, my holiday eating. Yeah. I feel, and I told this to Priscilla, and I think it was reassuring to her, is the the age 40 to me is very significant and it's right around the corner august 15th i'll be turning 40 and for me that is at least mentally the age in which i from now on am deciding outside of a major accident or an act of god how long i'm going to live and be there for my family like it's kind of like 40 years old if I don't get my act together and be consistently healthy on a day-to-day, then I could possibly rip my kids and wife off from, from time with me. Because, I mean, you hear about people in their late 40s, early 50s, massive yeah. heart attack, you know, uh, what an exercise and clogged artery, arteries and all that. And so, you know, with dad's diabetes, I would prefer not to have to put up with that. And yeah. so if that means you know, giving up sweets for, uh, or, or he- here's what I need to do is I need to consistently give up overindulgence of sweets. And so yeah, what right. I've done is I've, I've gone hardcore since January the 2nd, January the 1st is the worst time for resolutions. You're celebrating the daggum new year and you're saying, <laughs> I'm not going to do stuff. So yeah. January the 2nd is the beginning of my resolutions. And I pretty much went keto uh, and basically, I have been trying to limit my carb intakes to less than 50 grams a day. And I don't know how much weight I've lost, but I'm definitely wearing shirts that I wasn't able to wear uh, a month ago. So we're we're in good shape. And that's kind of the first step is kind of getting my body. Like I, I definitely went through a good solid day, two days of major major withdrawals it was it was sure. very bad very dizzy very nauseous but my body got used to the need for sugar and for people that have not done this diet the the remarkable thing is that you kind of are just more in control like you decide on no I don't want that yes I do want that no I don't want to eat right now yes I do want to eat it's like you're not you're not um mastered by an appetite and i I don't know all the science behind what sugars and carbs and all that stuff does to your body but eliminating them you know for uh, a span of time definitely is a good cleansing for me and i think that i will eventually build on that and maybe uh next month um or or what i'm thinking is maybe in march i will start to eat some fruits and, uh, you know, healthy smoothies and I hate vegetables, but get some vegetables in there and, and not go so hardcore on no carbs, but also watch my calories and, and making sure that I'm not going over and what I should be doing calorie wise. So do, would you consider yourself to be a sweet tooth? Like, is that like your struggle? Oh gosh. Yes. Okay. Yes. See, I'm the opposite. I'm all about like salty snacks, like chips, yeah. salsa, peanuts. That's like, that's my thing. Um, so yeah. I would have no problem going desserts or whatever at all yeah i think yeah. for me my, my plan of attack is exercise i feel like if i could just burn a hell of a lot of calories then as long as i eat in moderation i can pretty much eat whatever the hell i want so yeah I, I get up super early i'm a morning person anyway so i try to get an hour to hour and 15 of cardio every morning and then throughout the day i have you know four or five smaller meals and snacks and I, to me, that, that's been a really good recipe for success. Um, yeah. I don't think I have the mental fortitude to be a really strong dieter. I think I, I, need, I can diet better when I'm actually exercising. So that's kind of yeah. where I'm at now. I've also done my research, and I'm, because I am you know, I'm 41 now, I do take a testosterone boost. I take something called DHEA. I take iodine. I take magnesium. And all these things, I, I definitely feel like I have more energy. Um, I feel like my appetite's not crazy. Um, 
And then I think I am building more lean muscle mass as I, as I continue to do weights in the gym and stuff. So I, I feel like I'm healthier now than I probably was, you know, in my early to mid thirties, honestly, you know, yeah. I feel really good right yeah. now. So it's got to keep it up. Yeah. Do you remember the time when you were living in Greenville? I was in Rock Hill, but we went to a concert. I don't remember what we went and saw, but we ended up at mom and dad's house, spent the night there with your friend, uh, Brian Hawk. And I want to say maybe one of my friends, but I don't remember. But you and I, I think our goal just just for the heck of it was to intake like 2000 calories in one sitting or something. Yeah, awesome. And we, we just, we just went after everything, the frozen pizzas, the desserts, the yeah. chips. I mean, that's just insanely <laughs> stupid. Like what was the point of that? It's exactly the same thing as binge drinking. When you're in college, you yeah. put down a lot of, yeah. So we're just being stupid. I mean, yeah. and I think we were being egged on by Brian. Like he, yeah. he has a tendency to do that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I definitely remember that. I remember uh, yeah. at Furman when we, uh, we had exams, the uh, student council would provide like Krispy Kreme donuts for free. And I remember getting into an argument with, with another one of my friends at, at Furman. He was saying, oh, dude, I could totally eat more donuts than you could. And I was like, whatever. So we had a donut challenge. And the rule was you could eat any donut you wanted except for glaze. It had to be like a, you know, a filled donut. And, <laughs> and basically I had – I ate 13 donuts. Oh, to, my to gosh. His, Were to, you sick? Yeah, but I mean to his like five or six. So I could have I could have tapped out. And like seven or eight, but the, but the irony is back then I was a machine. Like I was in really, really good shape, cardio. I had, I was working out all the time. So yeah, I was sick, but it really didn't affect like my weight or anything. Cause I was burning yeah. off for the next few days, but I just can't believe like now I had trouble eating two. I had like, I literally had more than a dozen and one sitting. <laughs> <laughs> That's messed up. So yeah. Oh man. Crazy, yep. crazy. Yep. yep. Oh, the you know, those are the days where you could do stupid stuff like that for sure. Like, you know, try to tag people with water uh, balloons oh, from like a third story <laughs> and splatter blood all over oh, someone's face. That's the worst, man. <laughs> True story. The funniest, the funniest part about that story is so you're throwing water balloons or catapulting them. And some dude comes running upstairs and says, oh, man, that was so awesome. You tagged that girl in the face. There's like blood all over her. <laughs> and you're like, no, that's not good. Yeah, I know. And if, I mean, before that even happened, like I wasn't one of the ones involved in that direct hit. So as soon as they shot it, they ducked. I went to the window, pointed and yelled like, we got you. <laughs> but I, I had no idea we actually did until that guy came up and said that she's like a bloody mess. So it was, like oh the, my it, it was the worst thing ever, man. Like she went to the emergency room. You know, I thought she was going to lose her eyes or whatever. It was just. And yeah. you could have gotten kicked out of Furman. For, for sure, sure right? yeah. So that was the dumbest thing I yeah. did in college. And, uh, yeah. I mean, prior to that, though, we were actually shooting, like, little Debbie snack cakes at my best friend as he was running by. So, you know, <laughs> it was, it's just a thing that we do. You know, and it's, it's not smart, but, yep, that's, that's what the dumbest thing. Dumbest thing I did was I prank call a residence hall office and got the RA on the phone and pretended to be suicidal. And I let her talk to me for about five or 10 minutes to try to calm me down. And then I said, I'm sorry, I just can't take it. Click. Oh my God. <laughs> and so she actually called the cops and they got, yeah. the, they got the call traced and, and all that dude. I, I could have gotten in. So that must've been trouble. like scary for you. Like, yeah, it's just so stupid. Like, I, I mean, I'm seriously, I'm doing these prank phone calls. I've done so many things. I've, I've asked girls out who thought that I was a different guy and set up plans. And we, you know, <laughs> Devin had to call them later and tell them that that was just his friend and sorry and stuff. And it's just like, you just get caught up in the moment. You're trying to impress your friends and you're yep. just being a dumbass, and you just will do anything. It's just, right. Oh my gosh. Yep. Yep. All right, well, we have Jason Brewer coming on, actually a good friend of mine, worked with him for a while, and uh, in my opinion, one of those uh, undiscovered musical geniuses. I say undiscovered just because his band should be listened to by way more people. Uh, he's good friends with the, the lead guy, the Beach Boys, has kind of a fundamentalist background, and has a really, really cool band now called the Explorers Club. So looking forward to talking to him, and yeah, Jason Brewer. All right, so Jason Brewer, uh, man, this is going to be fun because, put it this way, Jason and I worked together for like over two years, and it wasn't just like a work relationship. We actually had a lot of fun. 
uh, talking a lot about probably two of Jason's passion. I think it's in Jason's life, it's music, NBA, family, then God, or something like that. I think that's what you told me once. <laughs> the, or, the order might be a little jumbled there, but you're, you're about right. <laughs> all right, so let, let, let's let's get a little loose here. First of all, uh, before we started sure. this, you were talking a little bit about Deshaun Watson. I want to get into that for a second. But all right. it's been a while since we've talked NBA, so I, I'm going to sure. ask, who, who do you think is the most underrated player of all time? It could be a current player, could be all old time? Scale, all-time most underrated player. Man, that's a hard one. Well, I think the most underrated player of all time is Pete Maravich. What? All right. So he just didn't yeah. get the he didn't get the kudos. Well, I think he did for his college career, and I think, and maybe underrated. He's just talked about less and less nowadays. Yeah. But still, you still see so much of what he pioneered in the league. Yeah, that's yeah, totally. um, and, and and it's funny because for for a while, you know, with especially during the Michael Jordan years and the Celtics and, and uh, Laker years uh, of the 80s and 90s, after Pete Maravich's time, was maybe a little more defensive-minded. But yeah. now it's so much offense, it's like this would have been, for a player like him, perfect. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe he's the most underrated. You know who's underrated, too, or just had a bad bad run of it was christian leitner too and and both those guys i'm not a big leitner guy because i was a tar heel fan but i think that he he just had a lot of bad luck in yeah. the nba yeah but but it's funny they're probably the top two best college players ever that is very oh, interesting. interesting you're right i've yeah, always thought leitner was the best college player of all time but yeah i forgot about pete all right who's who's the most overrated player in your opinion and don't say some LeBron James stuff. I know you hate LeBron James. I was but. gonna go. I was gonna go there. <laughs> I was totally gonna go there. No, I'd be right he's on really, board. He's, too. Re, he's look. He's really great, and I'm not gonna disparage him at all. I mean, it's whatever. Most overrated? I don't know, man. That's a tough one. Um, So Jared Jason is a big Laker fan, and I am. I, I, Kobe's not the, Kobe's not the most overrated because a lot of people hate on him. So you can't say he's the most overrated. I don't so. think I don't think Kobe's overrated, but I don't think anyone at this point belongs in the greatest of all time conversation, except for Jordan. Now, if anyone's included in that convo, Kobe would be one of them. But here's what made Jordan special: well, is so is LeBron, and I don't like him. Right. Here's what made, but he, here's what even separates Jordan from LeBron. I don't know if it was just the luck of who the teams were in in their prime, yeah. but once Jordan started hitting the playoffs, he did not lose. Like one, no, once he's he was once he's yeah once he started winning championships, he never lost. Uh, of course, that one year he came back as number forty five and lost to the Magic. But outside <laughs> of that, I mean, it was just because well, he he didn't ha- he didn't have his legs yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was in his thirties at that point, right? So yeah, he wasn't he wasn't you know twenty five anymore. Yeah. Um. Circle. I mean, if you circle back to your question, overrated player. I never understood. And I know he was really good, but was Allen Iverson really that great? Uh, he was a scoring machine. He wasn't a good team player, but he was definitely yeah. a scoring machine. I mean, you know, he didn't lead his t- uh, team to a championship, but that could have been because they were playing the Lakers with Shaq and Kobe, and who could beat yeah. that team? I don't know. But, yeah, that's a – The most most overrated player of recent years is definitely Dwight Howard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. For sure. No doubt about it. For sure. How about, he's, how about Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony? I've never really been impressed with him. Am I missing something? Well, he's – I don't know. If, have you seen him play in, like, international play? It's He's, like, a different player. Okay. Whenever they play in the Olympics, he's, like, the most valuable player on the floor. That's wow. great. That's true. It's, it, it's, it's weird. But, but I think that he – it's funny, he's in the news a bunch today. They're, I was listening to the radio on the way home, and they're talking about how they Phil Jackson tried to convince him to waive his no-trade clause today because <laughs> they, they want to get rid of him. Um, so Jared- I, think, I don't know. I don't know. I think Dwight Howard's more overrated because so, for like so long, I remember when Dwight Howard went to L.A., it was like, oh, he's the, the next big, great big man is finally coming to L.A. Yeah. He's going to succeed Shaq, and he's terrible. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. not terrible, but he's like – 
You yeah. know, I mean, Anthony Davis and all these new big men are actually yeah. good. Definitely so. under-delivered for sure. So, Jared, yeah. one thing about Jason, you, you, you've seen this before because Jason was a uh, worship leader at uh, the campus that I pastor uh, for years, and, you know, you would visit for Christmas and all that stuff. Like, Jason definitely is an unbelievable guitarist in a way where you see some people – uh, and, and Jason, not trying to make your head bigger than it already is, but you see, you know, some people, they play the guitar. Jason yeah. definitely owns the guitar. You know what I'm saying? When he's yeah, playing it, too nice. it, it, it's just, you know, it's like he's ruling the guitar. He's not really trying. He's just doing incredible stuff. So anyway, I recognize that. And then Toby um, Morell, someone who I respect a lot, too, I mean, just totally uh validated that saying yeah jason's an unbelievable unbelievable guitar so in one of our office conversations uh with jason i said so jason i was like i mean do you think there's any possibility that that you're like <laughs> in the top 10 greatest guitarists of all time and people just don't know and he you know laughed hysterically <laughs> wow. saying no yeah. that's the dumbest thing ever and so i just decided <laughs> I, I was i just decided i was going to keep increasing the number and see where i can catch him so i said okay how about the top 50? He said, no. He said, I don't belong in the top 50 greatest guitars. And so I was just like, okay, what about 100 greatest? Of, and I think he slowed down for a second, but he was like, no, I'm not top 100. Dude, I went 500. I said, top yeah. 500 guitarists of all time in the world. And he looked at me and said, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. That's, that's still saying an awful lot. Seriously, though. though seriously, that's I mean, huge. If, if, uh, if, well, if, you, if you have it's to totally think about not it. true. I, there's there's a there's 500 guys I've met since I moved to Nashville that play unbelievable. So I mean, so move, there's move, no way I'm there. Moving to Nashville did nothing for your confidence. Then is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You know what's funny? I, I learned that I learned that this this is what I did learn. I I play at our church now. Um, about once or twice a month. Yeah, and uh, and it's funny every time I play, all the other dudes that play guitar, whether it's backhanded, I haven't figured it out yet. Yeah, but they're always they always want to like say something about my playing in a complimentary fashion. So it's kind of like, okay, well, you guys are guys who are gigging with actual professionals and are working, and I'm just uh, doing this. You know, like I don't play as much as you, and and you like how I play. So I think, I think I don't think there's anybody else here in Nashville that plays. I don't think there's many people that play the way I do, which yeah. maybe is why people like like you, you and Toby were being so complimentary of me. I mean, I don't play with a guitar pick like other guitar players, and I play very uniquely, and I'm very untrained. Yeah. So a lot of guitar players are trained, and they play a specific way, and they play the right intervals and they play the things that they learned. I just made it all up as I went. Cause I taught myself. Yeah. So when did I you start it. playing? I st when I started yeah, when, when I was about 10. Wow. Okay. So I'm 35 now. So yeah. Uh, 25 years, I guess I started playing. I wanted to try to start when I was seven, but I couldn't, I couldn't like, I didn't have the discipline. And when I was 10, I was still playing baseball and trying to play basketball, but I wasn't tall enough. But um, trying to, you know, do all that stuff like all my neighbors and all my friends. But, you know, my dad's a musician and my mom is too, so I really wanted to play music. I mean, ever since I, I've seen my mom showed me photos of me like at three with a keyboard and headphones on my head. And, you know, I've always wanted to make music. So when I was 10, I got really, I got really heavy into playing guitar. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't want to stay on. I, I want to ask you a few questions about this, but I don't want to stay too much time. Like one, one thing sure. that I thought that's been super interesting about you is I know your background because it's very similar to mine. In fact, you and I went to a lot of the concerts in Charleston. Uh, we were there at the same time and had no idea who each other was. You listened to, I mean, one of your favorite bands is still Starflyer 59, which, I mean, my brother always. and I have always been listening to them since 93. And, you know, you and I talked about so many albums that we used to listen to. And oh, yeah. not only did you have like a huge musical progression to where, you know, you like all that stuff, but you're super passionate on the you know, retro 70s, Beach Boys, Beatles, and, and all that stuff. But even with yeah, your sure. faith, you don't 
talk about that too, like too expressively, but you have to be at kind of a different place than where your upbringing was just because of how you carry your life, who you hang out with, what you're doing with your life. I don't see you as like this uh, super adamant on making sure your light shines and you witnessing to people all the time. But like, you're saying wh- I'm a bad Christian. Thanks. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but like, what? Where? Where would you say you're at um, in comparison to how? you were being raised as a little Baptist boy. Like, what would be some of the most remarkable changes in how you carry out your faith at this point? I feel like probably a lot of the people I went to church with, and kind of a theme of, of my whole upbringing, I, I hated going to youth group. Yeah. I hated, I mean, I even really didn't even like go to church a lot. I mean, growing up, and and I didn't want to sing in the choir. Yeah. It was funny, like, I was always kind of rebellious, yeah, toward what my mom and dad wanted me to do. But, you know, I think for a while they pushed me to do it. But then they were just like, you know what? You know, we're not going to. And that's the thing. My parents never made me feel bad for not going, wanting to go to youth group with the other kids and not wanting to do that stuff. Because it was interesting because my, I think that secretly my, my mom and dad, they, you know, just didn't want to put up with the, some of the church politics the same way I didn't want to, but they yeah. couldn't not do it because of what my dad still does right. for you know work and stuff. So they never forced it on me or my brother in terms of making. I mean, we went to church, but they didn't make it. It was never a guilt thing. Yeah. Whereas I think a lot of people from our age group that grew up in church probably had a lot of that going on. Yeah. I think we've talked about that a lot before. Yeah. Um. You know, my dad was always a really good example to me, too, as young. Like, we never, you know, I never had a sense of, um, of, uh, not trying to include everybody. Right. Um, so I've always had that kind of, kind of in, in my DNA built in. But I do know that a lot of the people I went to church with growing up, certainly were very discriminant towards people that weren't a Christian and, you know, that never sat well with you. Oh no. I mean, I can even remember a time, I think I was like a freshman in college. This is a little later, I guess, but I was a freshman in college and, and I remember all of my friends and all the people I hung out with in college were all the kids who were sneaking, you know, we went to to Christian college and they were sneaking, you know, they were sneaking marijuana in their rooms and, and sneaking alcohol under their bed and stuff. And those were all my friends. I wasn't really, I wasn't doing any of that stuff really because I, I just never did. I never got into any of the, any drugs or anything, but I never had a problem with my friends doing it. Right. And, and I never wanted to, I never wanted to make them feel like, okay, you know what? You're not, um, you know, I never wanted to make them feel like they were doing something wrong because I was always much more concerned with being there for them when they needed me. Yeah. And just being buddies, being friends. Yeah. So that kind of thing always, I don't know, that always stuck with me because I always identified and, and, uh, and sympathized with people that maybe were on the, on the outside of the norm. And to me, growing up, the norm was very strict you know, Southern Baptist folks. Yeah. So I also went to a high school, my high school days where I went to a very, uh, you know, I went to Northwood Academy, Northwood assembly. So it was very opposite in terms of worship style and, and even theological stuff. So I had a real interesting mixed bag exposure growing up. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like then you're saying, like any sort of change was very minimal that you've just kind of been somewhat steadfast in your approach to faith and God and that sort of thing. I think so. But, you know, I think there were times, there were times when I was younger, when I was probably a lot more legalistic about things. Yeah. And that was just came by proxy of my environment. Yeah. But I would say, I would say, you know, I don't know. I almost feel like I've been in constant, I think the battle in my life with spiritual things has really more or less been based on, okay, how serious do I need to take 
all of this theology? How serious do I really need to take the opinions of all these people that are supposedly influential in spiritual lives of others? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of like, okay, well, I really want to stick to the basis of loving God first and loving people and then, you know, you know, coming to them in a spiritual place through my relationship a lot more so than like, you know, um, I don't know, making them feel bad or preaching at them or, or even just directly saying, Hey, I'm a Christian. You should try it out. Yeah. Jared, it's never my thing. Yeah. Jared, you get a kick out of this. So you and I went to a 90 pound wuss MXPX concert in Charleston. I think it was maybe summer of 96 or something like that. And yeah. it was it was at CSU, and I remember uh-huh. like after ninety pound was played, there was like this major delay, and MXPX was warming up a little bit, and then they went off the stage for a while, and then they were like talking to these older dudes, and we we're like, "What's going on?" Well, rumor has it that uh, some of the like leaders of the college and people that were putting on the show had saw Mike Herrera smoking a cigarette, and they were trying to determine whether or not they were going to let MXPX play. You remember that? Jeez. Yeah, I definitely remember that. Well, yeah. Jason's dad was one of the guys uh, in the evaluation process, so we may need to give Jason's dad a thumbs up that we got to see <laughs> MXPX live. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah. I think I think I think I I don't remember it distinctly. I was just really excited about the concert. I had I tell you what, the only reason that concert I'm going to take full credit for it. The only reason that concert took place is because I pushed and pushed my dad to book that tour <laughs> at school nice. um, because I was in high school then and um, and I knew they were going on tour because I was a big fan and I had I told them I said you know you got your Christian camp you do here every summer it's like dad you should book all these cool bands and so who did they have that summer it was Plank Eye which was great oh they were with Driver 8 they were Driver yes, 8 yes and yep. it, it was they were that was that was one of my favorite concerts it was so good. Yeah. I know that that summer they had MXPX, Plank Eye, and somebody else that was, uh, they had somebody, they did one, uh, you remember Upside Down Room? Yeah. It was them and, and one other band, and I can't remember who the other one was. But it was it was some really good, I think it was, and they had Fold Zandura, but that was later. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So... So anyway, we, I pushed my pop to all that stuff because that was uh, the golden age of Christian art. That's right, man. That's in, what, in music, in that's music. When it, that's when it exploded for sure. Uh, so, with um, with a lot of your background, like spiritually, and uh, you know, just some of the stuff that you just depicted, did you? Would you say that you fit into the worship leading department because, like you? You're obviously super musically gifted. Uh, you know how no, to lead a never. band. So you just kind of felt like a fish out of water? I mean, no and yes. It's like a double, double-edged sword. I, a double-edged answer, rather. I mean... Because I, I, I think I told you that one time. I was just like, dude, you have no problem with leading a band. You're probably the most gifted musician I've ever worked with. I don't know if you're like if you even care about the worship leading part, which and and I don't yeah, well, I don't I see care, that as a criticism. I care about it, but I think it was one of those things where it's like I don't feel like I was ever the like I'm not the person. To me, a worship leader is is almost is just the musical version of what you do. Yeah, is 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 leading people in more ways than just making music and singing songs on Sunday. So that was kind of always my understanding of the position. I'm much more of a, I, and I was think it was the, that was ended up being my title at the end of the time of working with you was just like a musical director. Yeah. That's much more where I'm at. I'm not a guy who would sit in an office and sit there and want to biblically counsel someone or talk to someone because a lot of worship leaders do that right. on top of right. you know and i just never felt like that was my calling i don't think it's a negative thing yeah you know that it wasn't my calling but i know that i'm a really good band leader yeah and that's the thing that i'm my i excel at and i think that's always been my strength i'm much more and look 
and I think the thing is by now what I'm doing, like volunteer, just volunteering and playing guitar at my church where we go. Yeah. I actually feel like I'm for the first time actually serving, actually contributing to the actual worship factor because there's no pressure on me. Yeah. To to take the business part of being a worship leader um, into context, I can actually just be a part of the worship experience when I play guitar at church and not have to think twice about it. Do yeah. I miss the planning aspect and the and the and the business aspect of being a worship leader? Sure. Yeah. But it's not it's not what I'm what I'm cut out to do, and it's not what I live for. Yeah. So, so, so what was it like working with Toby? Uh, probably the one of the best experiences I've ever had. Really? All right. Yeah. In what yeah, way? In, ter- in terms of, in terms of, if you're, I meant, and re- recap what I mean there is one of the best experiences I've had working in a church environment. Um, you know, he challenged me, he pushed me, you know, and that was the thing. The thing that was hard for me, um, you know, when I left that job was the things that was, I wasn't bummed out about leaving that job cause I didn't want that job anymore. Right. But I was, I was bummed out about leaving Joey and Toby because they meant a lot more to my, to my actual spiritual life than the job did. Yeah. Right. So work and just from like a work, like working with Toby, he's, he's in, he's a, you know, I think he's a, an A-list vocalist. He's a great singer. And he's a great talent, and he's a great people person. He's all the things that I'm not great at when it comes to worship leading. So I think we worked well together, but you know, um, it just wasn't you know cooked up to last that long, I guess. Yeah, if, gotcha. but, if, if you want to use the terminology "dream team," that would that would fit seriously. If you if you think <laughs> yeah. about it, because Toby would readily admit that. I mean, Toby's a, Toby's a creative genius, so he can write music. Uh, well, he can sing unbelievably, but when it comes to, you know, the on-site arrangements, figuring everything out, I mean, he's, he's good, but musicianship, I mean, I'll speak for Toby. Toby will say it. I mean, Jason will blow him out of the water with, you know, guitar playing and all that stuff. So, I mean, it really was a very sweet season of our campus to have Jason and Toby's, uh, time at seacoast overlap because you had yeah i mean just two very very talented creatives that filled in where the other person you know their weak areas they were strong in those areas so it was just gotcha. super neat super neat for sure did you ever get mad at him was he ever an asshole to you <laughs> no sweet no sweet. not at all i mean i always i mean i would disagree sometimes but he was one of the few people between like you and and him, probably the two people I've worked with that I could have real, a lot more honest conversations than any other person I've worked with. So it was always, um, I don't know, I I don't hold a lot of grudges. I don't get irritated yeah. that easily. Yeah. So. so tell us a little bit about your, I mean, I, I'm not saying that you're besties with him, but I remember, I think when you were in the application process, and we were trying to schedule a second interview, you had to figure out a different date because the initial date I proposed to you, you were having lunch with Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys. What the hell's up with that, man? Whoa, that's pretty sweet. I don't know if we were... I think we were just at one of the concerts, and I think we were just... Um, I think I just went to see him play, and I was hanging out with guys from his band, and then I got to take a photo with him. I mean, he's not... He doesn't really have... I would say, wouldn't say he has a lot of friends anymore. Gotcha. I think he has he has I think old acquaintances or friends that have been his friends for a long time. But he's on on, on his own planet for sure. Has been for a long time. Is that I've is that Brian. your nice way of saying he has dementia? No, no I don't <laughs> he's eccentric. No, right? he has. I mean, he has well documented mental issues. I mean, you, you should pick up his book sometime that just came out. He wrote a book about his life. It tells all about it. Gotcha. It's great. Um, or watch the movie if you don't want to read a book. Watch the movie Love and Mercy. Great. Oh, I did. I have not seen that. I want to see it. It's good. Even if you're not a fan of his stuff, it's a great movie. Yeah, just check it out. Is yeah. it a documentary? No, it's the movie. Oh. It stars uh, Paul Dano and uh, okay. um, John Cusack and some other people. Wow. Okay. Like it's it's actual. It came out about like two or three years ago and. It's just the story of Brian Wilson. It's really good. Gotcha. Sweet. It was in the it was in the theater for like a week. 
It was great. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's just, you know, dramas don't do well anymore. Nobody cares unless it's like a politically charged thing or action movie or cartoon. So yeah. whatever. Um, but uh, I've met Brian a few times. I'm, I'm really good friends with all the guys in his band. Um, and they've worked with me in my band, the Explorers Club. They've worked with me on a couple of our records. And Brian's heard my music and he liked it. And he called me once to tell me he liked it. So nice. That was cool. All right, so yeah. before we talk about Explorers Club, why don't we give somebody, why don't we give our listeners a reference point? Let's play a little clip from sure. Explorers Club song. I'll play a song that was the first single from our newest record called Together, and the song is called California's Calling You. Definitely for fans of Brian Wilson and, and the like. Let me see if I can make this work. You get the idea of the sound for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yep. Jared, ironically enough, and Jason's going to think that I'm just saying this, and I'm not just saying it. So, I uh, Jason put on his Facebook page, like I'm always interested in the kind of music that he's listening to because a lot of times I'll figure out some cool stuff that's that's going on that I wouldn't have heard of outside of him. And so he asked for other people's top ten, and so I write my top ten on his Facebook and. Like basically, what I did is I went back, um, you know, the last 2016 albums that were downloaded into iTunes, and for some reason or another, the newest Explorers Club uh, comes out on my iTunes is like 1970 something, so it's not even what? listed in, in 2016. I don't know if y'all purposely yeah. did that or what, but it's it is the no. for for date <laughs> added. It says like 1970 something. And so I'm scrolling down, don't even see it, list my top 10, and Explorers Club is legitimately in my top 10. So then, Jared, you Take and I did jealous. the Jared, you and I did the Pastor with No Answers episode top 10. I yeah. I'm like, "Oh, I forgot what my top 10 uh albums are." So I go back to Jason's Facebook page to find my top 10. In which I left out Explorers Club, so I still didn't put it in my top ten. But oh, it really yeah, is, okay. it really is an uh, awesome album, and I personally think it's the best. You guys, I mean, you've been writing music now what for like ten, ten plus years. When was the first yeah, Explorers our, Club out? The first one was in two thousand and eight, but we've been a band since two thousand five. Yeah, so and I mean this latest uh, album, twelve is, years. Yeah, it's it's just phenomenal. Now, do you get? Do you get sick of people saying, "Oh yeah, they're they're like uh, they're like the Beach Boys. They're really cool." No, it's fine because you know what I mean. It's definitely influenced by that stuff and the vocal style. I mean, nobody else does it. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, I always said, and everybody who's ever interviewed me and asked me that question, my answer, my textbook answer, I always come up with is, "Well, I wanted to, uh, you know, to continue the tradition of great vocal harmony and." Brian's music was definitely the music that influenced me the most. And I feel honored when people make that comparison because there's nobody as good as them. Yeah. So for that kind of music. So uh, that's usually what I say. And, and truthfully, I mean, I really feel like the people that like our music really like it when we do the harmonies and do the Brian Wilson sound. And it's always funny to me, like our first album was very much that style our second album was not our second album was a lot different it was still kind of old it was old school and and funky and 60s and 70s sounding but it didn't really have as much of the big harmonies and stuff that are kind of associated with that um california sound and so the people that loved our first album got all mad (laughs) (laughs) and and we're like oh this isn't i don't really care this band i'm done with them and then we came out with that new record and all those people came back but then the people who liked the second one said, oh, well, I liked it when you did the other thing. So it's just like... <laughs> you can't it's just please like, everybody. No, yeah, you can't. can't. You can't. And so it, it's just kind of like the, the place I'm at is like, if we're going to do stuff that has that Brian Wilson feel, then let's do it. If we're going to do something else that's got kind of that classic sound and the classic songwriter thing going on, then we're going to do it. And 
I mean, I never really try to base what I do with our band on what's cool or popular ever. I mean, it's yeah. just what I what I'm influenced by and what I excel at, where I feel my strength lies the best. Yeah, in my songwriting style, so for sure. So you said you've been a band for about twelve years. So is that pretty much the same lineup, or? Oh no. Okay. No. Okay. Are you <laughs> the only I'm... original member then? Yeah. For okay. sure. Okay. We've had we've had I think, and it's not it's never been anything like bad blood. Well, maybe once or twice, but not really. I mean, a lot of it's just been, um, you know, it's the lineup we have of the band right now is probably the best it's ever been. It's 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 four other. It's only five guys. We used to be a six piece, but now we're a five. Okay. But it's four other guys who I really look up to in terms of talent. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like I'm a pretty talented guy, but they're they're just extremely talented dudes who can really sing, really play guitar, really really make music and work together well. And you know, they let me cast a vision and and lead that musical vision and they help me make it happen. Right. Um, so that is really great. In the past a lot of the time it was dudes I knew who could play or even just friends of mine that couldn't really play that I kinda like just showed them what to do and that just didn't last it didn't Mm -hmm. stick this version of the band is very workmanship it's very much like we're going to go in and we're going to work we're going to play and we're going to do a good job and when we're done we're just going to hang out and that's it um there's not a lot of weird ego about it it's really more about just being the best we can be and i think in the past the earlier versions of the band there was a lot of like tension over um you know Maybe somebody took the band more seriously than the other guy, and you know, just normal band politics. Right. All right, play another clip, and I got another question for you. Sure. Okay, so this song um, is called "Gold Winds," and it's um, if it's everyone in the band. I mean, it's not. I'm not saying it's not my favorite, but it's all the other four guys' favorite song on the record. Love that song as well. So here's what I want to ask, and I I think that – so I'll put it this way, and maybe it's a little more of a vulnerable question. I know there's a lot of bands that are in this uh, situation. I just don't know who they are. I know who you guys are. So bottom line is I'll I'll speak for you. I'm not a musician, but I know good music, and I can tell when someone's a good musician. You guys are a collection of phenomenal musicians – uh, you're a great songwriter. Paul may be one of the best singers I've ever heard, and that's that's oh yeah, that's he's great. That's literally one of the best singers ever. Like you know that you you know your level of talent. You know the quality of music. Do you ever think we should be more uh, widely exposed? Like like more people should be hearing our music. Like how. Someone as passionate about the music as you are, how do you deal with that tension of knowing you have a collection of unbelievable talent and you guys have awesome stuff going on, and yet, you know, not as many people are hearing you as I think should be? The the opinion that I always have about our band, and it's not because I'm in the band, it's not because it's my songs, because inherently, as most songwriters are, very self-conscious you know, and you, you talked about Brian Wilson earlier. He would take some of his, like he would take his, like his biggest tune, like God only knows. And he would take it to like his wife or somebody and say, do you think people, you think, you think they're going to like it? Do you think the guys are going to like this song? And it's like some all time great song. So everybody deals with that. So for me, you know, I never think, Oh, this is great. But when it's done, I feel like, okay, this is really great. This is what I want to listen to. Yeah. But I always think that, Every time I work with college students now, and and every time I somebody tells says, "Hey, you know that you should hear Jason's band," or if I bring it up and I play them something, they instantly get way into it. Totally. And I think and I think that's the thing. 
I think for our band, you can't listen to what you can you can be a rock snob and say, oh well, it's just too retro or too Brian Wilson or whatever. That's fine, but that's that's such a small amount of people. Yeah. Um, but they tend to speak for people that you know they tend to speak for opinion too much. But I think that anybody who would sit down and listen to any one of our albums will find a song or or a couple of songs that can be you know some of their favorite music to listen to. For sure, it's- and. And it's, uh, I think it's really good. I think our problem with our band has always been we get dismissed too easily because it's too different or too much like something else in a way of the production or whatever. But, I mean, they're individual songs. It's not like they're, uh, you know, just rehashing someone else's song. I mean, it's it's always like... it's It's what so many other big acts have done. Yeah. It's just... It's just we've never. I think really. I mean, when it really comes down to it, we just haven't had the money behind us that a yeah. lot of these other independent, even independent acts that are really big, um, have had behind them. Yeah. Um, well, I never forget. I was on the road with Matt and Toby doing like a little bad Christian tour, and they were in a season where they just were not listening to hardly any music. Took a very low interest in, in new stuff, and I would keep trying to get them to listen to stuff. And I, this was before the third album came out. I let them listen to your first album. They're like, "Holy okay. shit! Who is this?" They're like, "This is unbelievable!" I was like, th- th- "So this this actually would have been before you and Toby met." Obviously, I was like, "This is like this okay. is our worship leader, Jason." They were just blown away, and I think it's because they you know the kind of music that people have always been hey listen to this listen to this listen to this it's kind of either not that great or it's maybe in the same categorical stuff you know that that they play so it really is just super refreshing and uh do you think this third album is better than the first two or oh yeah i think it's the best thing we've done i think the production on it is unbelievable the guys we worked with and i love everybody we've worked with in the past production wise so no knock to them but the guys we worked with this time we got lucky to work with excuse me lucky work with a couple of guys who who had the time to put in to really make it sound the way it should sound as opposed to just being on the dock with a bunch of other stuff they made it a priority um, and i think that made a big difference and the band worked together. We worked, I mean, the other two albums really were thrown together with me putting, I mean, a lot of the first album really is me and a couple of the guys from the original lineup playing and doing everything and doing it piece by piece. And the second album was even more of that. This album, we all sat in the room together and played all the backing tracks at the same time in yeah. one room t- to tape, which is cool. And sounds way better than doing it straight to digital. And then we went back in the digital world and did all the vocals. But we did the vocals together, too. Like, whether it was three guys on one mic or two guys on one mic and then somebody doing a lead vocal, stuff like that. Um, you know, do We did it old-fashioned style. And because we did it that way, we brought better performances to, to the first take than you would with the mindset of, okay, well, I'll get it right eventually. As opposed to, hey, let's just give it all we got right in right in. And I think that stuff made a big difference on this record. Plus, I think the material on this record had a little more personal yeah. thing going on as opposed to trying too hard to write. I mean, our first couple of records... I that was comes really out, to... by the way. I, I wouldn't have said that, but that definitely comes out. And I think that's that's one of the reasons why I took to it so much is it sounds like you're really singing what you're feeling and trying to express. Oh well, yeah, I mean, and I did a lot of these songs I co-wrote with a friend of mine, and I would just we would just have conversations about um, where we were at or what we were thinking about with yeah. the music, and then and then he would put my thoughts into words, which was uh, a first because a lot of the rest of the earlier records we were just trying to write what sounded good yeah. and what worked. So, it, and that second record really suffered because of that, I think, because it was too much. No, there was like no personal connection to a lot of it. A lot of it was just thrown together. But yeah. so, so, Jason, did, did you or are you going to be touring in support of this album? We did a little bit of touring last year. The record came out in June, and we played a week on the East Coast. We played, well, we did a Charleston show in April, but we did like, um, I don't know, we did New York and Philadelphia, New Jersey, and all that stuff. We have a really good fan base in New York and New Jersey. We 
it's funny. We draw more there than we did when we were in Charleston. We have wow. great fans there, and we have a lot of good fans. And, and we also went out to Los Angeles for a, a week at the end of the summer. We did some light touring on it just because um, we wanted to tour more, but it just got it just got difficult. I think part of the reason we didn't tour as much is we didn't um, we didn't we didn't have we had a new label behind the record as opposed to the other ones were with built-in labels. This label actually is a label that I I partnered with a friend of mine from Australia, and we have great distribution all over the world. Okay. But we tried to take it more of an, a digital marketing bend as opposed to the traditional playing a lot of gigs. We did play a lot of shows. We played, I think about 16 shows nice. in support of the record. But we went, we're going to do some more this year. Um, we're going to go out and do some stuff, and we might have something up our sleeves that uh, may happen this year as well. Very cool. Yeah. So you said earlier that you were, you're working with college students. Are you, are you currently teaching music at all, or are you producing now, writing? What do you well, I do, I do a lot of, like I've done like commercials and, and little uh, little music projects and demos for people, like help people with stuff. Um, but I actually work now at an audio engineering school here oh. in Nashville. And, you know, really what I do is just help students and, and then just do what the boss wants me to do, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have a really defined, um, a defined title as much as I just uh, assist. I assist my boss, really. But I get to work with students pretty hands-on, help them with projects, audio projects, and, you know, connect them with other musicians and all kinds of different stuff. I've gotten to know a lot of music people here in Nashville. I knew a lot of people here before I moved here. That was one of my motivations for moving here is I had already a good base of supportive people here. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, you know, for a long time, um, you know, when I was working on this new record, I was just doing different things. You know, I was working in doing pro audio for a while selling pro audio but my real passion is to work if i'm you know for like day job kind of stuff i like working with um yeah i like work i get that from my dad probably because he's always worked with college students but i identify pretty heavily working with college students in terms of that sort of thing yeah Uh, so it's working out all right very nice awesome man so hey uh what's the best place for people to go and check out your music and uh, get the um, album. You know, if you want to go buy the record, you can go buy it on Amazon or you can buy it. If you go to your local record store, I mean, you can just tell them you want the newest Explorers Club record. If they don't have it in the store, they can order it yeah. um, from the distributor. So that's no problem. It's available everywhere in every country that you can buy records easily. Yeah. So um, all the shot, like if you're listening or if anybody out there is overseas all the shops in in the united kingdom have the record i know all the independent retailers for sure um but you know if you're a digital streaming guy i'm not against it and go listen to it on spotify all you want yeah it's a good thing you could listen to it and then you could tell 15 of your friends to go stream it too and then they know about the band so um that's a positive thing um spotify is great apple music uh any of the digital platforms google play they all have it um if you want the album, new album on vinyl, um, definitely go try to grab one off Amazon. Um, it's nice, 180 gram, nice, clear, translucent blue vinyl. It's really cool. Nice. Yep. It's called Together, and I mean, you've heard it here. It's is backed by a lot of people that you folks uh, respect musically, such as myself and Matt and Toby and. <laughs> freaking brian wilson for crying out loud so if you're looking for a new album and uh probably something a little bit different than what you've been listening to lately uh go check out the explorers clubs uh i'll just call it new album it's been out since the summer but it's called together and it is uh it's killer it's good talking to you jason and catching up man you're uh, thank you you're, you're a good friend and i appreciate you coming on oh well i'm always very much uh Appreciate your friendship and Toby's friendship, and and uh, big fan of what you guys are doing. Uh, always, I always tell Krista. I said, man, they are uh, my wife. I always tell him, man, I'm just so excited that these guys are getting to use their creativity in a larger media format because it's a 
fantastic. I meet a lot. Of, I meet a lot of people that listen to you guys. Oh yeah, on the, the big <laughs> podcast. And there's a kid who goes to my school who's just going on and on about how much he he loves bad Christian. So yeah, that's um, cool. I'm I'm a big listener. Have been since a good while so i really is honored to be on your show thank you awesome man hey we've been going after jason martin he just hasn't responded man i wanted him on but I, you know I, I can't imagine that guy talking a lot though so <laughs> did you you should you should contact the guy that played drums with him for a long time oh yeah i forgot his name jared do you remember uh, his name? frank lens oh, okay i remember that name. and he played he played with pedro the lion too yeah did yeah. he also um, play for Fold Zandura or not? He did. He was Fold yeah, okay. Zandura's drummer, and and he was the drummer for the. Do you remember the Christian R and B singer Crystal Lewis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He played with Crystal Lewis because the guy from Fold Zandura was her musical director for a long time. Nice. Oh wow! Yeah, you know, who, you know, if we're and you can cut off your recording, but I've met a bunch of people here that have played in some of those, all those bands that we've liked and or either that or they know those people. Yeah. Nice. So, you know, they're, they're around. That's awesome. If you want, you know what? I know a guy who knows Jason Martin pretty well and I could, I could probably ask him. Yeah. It'd be fun, man. Thinks. Be fun I'll, see, sure. I'll see if I can do some detective work for you. There you go. Hey, before you, before you go, what's your all time favorite Starflyer album? Oh, leave here a stranger. I don't even have to think about it. That's the that's one of the best albums anybody's ever made. Leave here yeah. a stranger. Leave here a stranger is great. I'll have to revisit a, that. A number of reasons. First of all, it's in mono. It's not in stereo, which Whoa. is really really strange. That's yeah. not a normal thing. Secondly, <laughs> the a big part of that record was they were all bummed out about their previous producer dying suddenly. Oh um, yeah, Gene Gene Gene. Yeah yeah. Okay. And okay. so that record was kind of a tribute to him. I know that, like, I know that's probably not talked about a lot. Well, nobody talks about this, but <laughs> but me. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I think that's one of the best albums because what he did on that album is he took the Starflyer sound and then he incorporated Brian Wilson Pet sounds and Sergeant Pepper sounds and put them together. That's the first thing I heard when I listened to that album. I was like, oh, he's taking the the types of instruments and sounds you hear on both of those records and putting it together and making a Starflyer record as if it were the blueprint was like have you ever seen a Wes Anderson you've seen Wes Anderson movies yeah. right yeah where basically the, a lot of scenes and this is what I always say about Explorers Club too a lot of scenes in Wes Anderson movies are Wes Anderson taking a scene he really likes from a favorite movie of his. Yeah, taking out the the what's going on in that and just superimposing his script and his actors on that scene. Gotcha. He does that a lot. Nice. Yeah, and um, so he's taken like, oh, what are the elements of this film? Whatever. I think that's what he was doing with that. Uh, whether Jason Martin would admit to that or not, he's that's what he's doing on that "Leave Here a Stranger" record, and he's doing it better than anybody else does it. It's a great record. Wow. Okay. Awesome. Um, well, we're going to leave so, all of yeah. our listeners with another clip of an Explorers Club song. So you guys enjoy that, and uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>